but the only players who are actually guaranteed money are Springer, Ryu, Grichuk, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Given to you for two years at ten million bucks. Oh, sure, the Jays so, will probably do that in a heartbeat, but I yeah, don't think that's going to happen. And throw in Randall Grichuk. So create and debunk your own rumor, and then you have no worries about A, getting scooped, or B, being wrong. And welcome to episode number 192 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we will be taking our talents to here, exactly where they've been for the last, gosh, is it four years already? Uh, I am Greg Wazdowski, joined by my creative co-host, Joshua Housem. Josh, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. How about you? See, creative. I didn't use an, uh, what I, is it always I words I end up using? <laughs> yes, it was I ones for a long time, yeah. <laughs> I ran, I wore the page out, <laughs> fell out of my thesaurus, and now I gotta move elsewhere. Um, so! There wasn't an infinite what level of I words. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, okay, so we have topics because the Blue Jays, during the recording of our last podcast, which we're still, I think, debating about whether this has actually happened previously, as we recorded, our podcast became out of date uh, because the Blue Jays traded for Stephen Matz of, as I am told by a long-running joke from one of the beat writers, Long Island, New York. Um, also, then later they signed Francisco Liriano, which uh, would have been great news if we had checked the calendar and found out it was like 2016. Both um, those moves would be great news if it was the, yeah. right after the 2016 season. <laughs> Where's my time machine? Uh, we have, of course, uh, the question. Is starting pitching still a, a thing the Blue Jays are going to add? Question mark. Um, we have uh, the season going ahead um, under uh, various terms and conditions. We'll talk about what the union and the, um, and the owners went back and forth about because I think some interesting stuff happened there. Um, we have, of course, your questions because we've given you lots of time to submit some and uh, we have lots of time to answer them. And uh, then we have uh, a couple of do-overs. One of them is from a New York newspaper that uh, we're not sure what the complaint is, but they were definitely complaining about the Blue Jays. And uh, we have one from a career journalist that has had so many, he's so consistently do-over, but we, I don't think we've ever actually given him a do-over because we just, just expect it from him. So I think sort of more of a career achievement award. And thus, <laughs> this brings us to the Blue Jays trading Steve for Stephen Matz, former, um, I would say, hot prospect for the New York Metropolitans. Yeah. He definitely, you know, he was a top 10, I think, prospect by some minor league ranking systems back in the day. Uh, no, he, yeah, he peaked at number nine with baseball perspectives, actually, and then 13, 15 with Baseball America and MLB, respectively. Like, he was a guy when he was coming up. Well, and this was when the Mets, um, you know, despite their Metsiness, appeared to have a rotation of, of four young guns as i mean this happens all the time in baseball where where you know all the stars appear to be aligning for a magical rotation that's it's going to work out but it, it was it it was um uh jacob de and uh matt harvey and um syndergaard and matt yeah yeah syndergaard and matt so there's your, your you know four big guns and now here in 2020 reality has crashed down upon us um de is awesome but it sure is but he's not a matt anymore is he yeah, he is. Oh, he's still a Met. 
I feel yeah, he and Syndergaard are both still with the Mets, although Syndergaard is recovering from Tommy John. Yeah, and uh, Matt Harvey is, uh, yeah, not, he's like a footnote now. <laughs> it's, it's like, wow. How does that happen? Oh, yeah, pitcher's break. I forgot. Um, how broken is Steven Matz, I guess, now that the Blue Jays got him for what? Sean Reed Foley? Was 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 that the big piece they gave up? Well, I don't know if you call any of them big pieces. So Sean Reed Foley, Jensi Diaz, and Josh Winkowski. Winkowski. I mean, the Jays, so they'd already signed Semyon, but hadn't added him to their 40-man yet, and they had a full 40-man roster. So one of Reed Foley or Diaz was probably going to get cut. So they just included them in the trade, and then Matt's needed a spot, so they included the other one in the trade. <laughs> and then Minkowski was unprotected for the Rule 5 draft. So I don't think any of these guys was a piece that the Jays care about losing. I, I, to me, it's not even about who they gave up, but it's it's more about the potential opportunity costs of getting Stephen Matz. I think it is just an interesting note that Sean Reed Foley was, you know, a potential regular you know MLB pitcher now I'm not saying he's a regular starter but you know the way he was thought of at one point within even the last three years was okay Sean Reed Foley is a prospect he's coming up and he's going to do something in the bigs I think that was kind of um that was a reasonable expectation and now we're talking about him as a throw-in for Stephen Matt well yeah I guess I guess that's overstating a bit I just meant from the Jays perspective losing those guys I don't think is a big deal. And, you know, while we're talking about top 100 prospect lists, Reed Foley was on all of them after before the 2017 season. So, yeah, that's what uh, I'm saying is, is it, it's 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 weird how uh, the value can fluctuate very quickly in an organization, depending on, you know, who you are and then what the organization is trying to do at any given moment. I, I just think that it was it had become clear that Reed Foley was not going to be a major league starting pitcher anymore. Like that ship had sailed. He just didn't have the command to do it. So. They basically said, it's like, well, this guy's like, he's going to be a middle reliever. Well, we've got enough middle relievers. Let's go and get a guy who could start. Yeah. So what, what do you think about Steven Matz and his potential? So, I mean, last year he was a disaster. Just like as bad as you could be. He had 14 home runs in 30 innings and he had an ERA over nine. Um, but that was kind of an outlier year. I mean, even at his worst, he's never been that. For the most part... You know, if you go to back to like 2018 and 19, he, he made 30 starts in each, which is you know, good for him. He had some injury problems earlier in his career. He also had some injury issues last year. <laughs> um, but he's, you know, like a league average kind of starter. Like that's pretty much what he can be. And that's fine in general. Like, you know, a league average starting pitcher who throws, you know, if you need to, you can put him in the pen throwing hard from the left side is valuable. But the reason I said that the opportunity cost is, you know, he did add another $5 million to their budget and they still haven't, he's not filling a hole in the rotation necessarily. No, he he's like, I, I can, the way you describe that, it almost sounds like, well, if Tanner Roark gets hurt, could Steven Matt step into that role and nobody would notice? Yeah, I think he's a bit better than Roark. Um, but. I don't think he's a lot better than Roark. I, 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 I would be more confident in, say, a four ERA from Steven Matz than I would from Tanner Roark. But I'm not confident in either of them doing better than that. Right. So, yeah, M Matz fills a role, but not a hole. Um, I don't think Fritz, now, if, if you don't mind, I will move to Francisco Liriano, who obviously doesn't even fill a role. <laughs> he's, uh, he's like, 
a th- this has to be the tail end of Francisco Liriano's career. Yeah, I mean, there's a minor league deal for Liriano, but it, you know, I think the plan is probably for him to make the roster because you know he gets a million dollars if he makes the bigs. So it's interesting with Liriano, right? I mean, he was great for various stretches in his career as a starting pitcher, just really good, including with the Jays in 2016. He was awesome down the stretch. Yeah, um, and, and and he was he's one of those control lack of control pitchers who you perpetually hope that some catcher or pitching coach has unlocked enough consistency to get you through like the the three months at the end of the season that you need or to get you you know through uh, if he's in the bullpen at that point to to you know make a, a couple of impact starts in the play or impact um appearances in the playoffs or or, or whatever right that he's he's not in the oh my gosh, he's walking too many people to even get through you know, enough innings to be valuable kind of thing. Right. And, you know, he's also, he's 37 now. I mean, he's he's not that. But the thing is, he so he didn't play last year. He opted out of the season because of COVID, and I don't blame him. But uh, in 2019, it was his first season as a full-time relief pitcher, and he actually had a pretty solid year. You know, I mean, obviously reliever ERA is what it is, but he had a three four seven ERA, and he held lefties to a, a batting average under two hundred and an OPS under six fifty. I mean, he's and he has the changeup to get righties out, so I think that he could actually be a useful addition to the bullpen, which the only left-hander currently is Ryan Barucki. And that's what makes it, I guess, this interesting enough to talk about, right? Is is uh you know, with the bonus and, and the clear incentive to make the major league roster and the the veteranship and everything else, um, this this could prove to be a uh, big, big return on investment for the Blue Jays if it all works out. Yeah, and I think that his feature with the Jays or his ability to make the roster with the Jays is actually tied to Stephen Matz in a way because Matz is not being promised anything as far as I understand it. He still has to go and pitch well enough in spring training to earn his rotation spot. And if he doesn't get it, he's not getting cut. He's making $5 million. Well, it's technically it's an arbitration $5 million, so they could cut him and save money. But I don't think they traded for him to cut to him. Cut him. Um, <laughs> That's rude. It's possible, but it's rude. <laughs> so. Yeah, but if someone else like, – say Julian Merriweather just comes out in spring training and is just dominant – and Mats is fine. I could definitely see the Jays putting Mats as the second lefty out of the pen. I, I get like Liriano, well, actually even more so than the Liriano, able to go more than an inning, and Merriweather getting that spot. In which case, there's no room for Francisco Liriano. But if Mats makes the rotation and the Jays don't get another starter, which we're going to address in a second, I think Liriano's got a great shot. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I mean, we're a few weeks away from that game of musical chairs playing out, but it's certainly starting to set up the way it does every year, right? So, someone is going to be on the outside looking in um, come come opening day. And those are the names I think, you're, uh, you know, some of the names we're going to be talking about um, because of, again, the money and the the, the roles that they can fill. So uh, that's, in, that's going to be interesting. What's going to be more interesting is, are the Blue Jays going to fill this obvious to us and I suppose to them in a way, uh, need for an impact starter before the start of the season. Yeah, so this is kind of the interesting thing that's come out of this whole offseason. The Jays have they've gotten considerably better. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no argument against that. And their offense is vastly improved. 
but the rotation hasn't really gotten better because you know like we just said like Matt's is better than Rourke but not really like <laughs> you know no, like in um, a given year yes but guaranteed to be like no <laughs> nobody knows yeah, it's like he has more <laughs> he's more upside of being a number three starter than Tanner Warwick because Tanner Warwick cannot be that, but he's not, but Steven Matz is not a guy who's going to slot ahead of Ray Re, uh, Pearson and, and Ryu. Like he's just, he, he's just not that good, but you know, like they, they don't need it per se. Like they're probably decent enough now that they could get by and try to get a guy at the deadline or something like that, but they do need it. I mean, <laughs> like it, it just, if you can get a guy, on a deal that makes sense, I think there's all the argument in the world to go sign a James Pacton or Taiwan Walker. Yes, because this is not a complete disaster of a 60-game season that you are trying to navigate your way through. Not really like where where a small swing in luck would overcome a fairly significant difference in talent. Which I think is what we saw last year in a couple of situations where um, just a bit of bad luck for a decent pitcher, as an example, like Matt's, um, either for lack of preparation or or timing or you know whatever else, he had a horrible, horrible season. Um, but on the converse, you know, you could have had a guy who was not that great have a fantastic three weeks, and that was like a third of his season. We're set up yeah, for I- the full 162 game slog now. Yeah, and also just the the rosters the way they were last year, you could get away with mediocre to bad starting pitching. And the Blue Jays, I mean, the Blue Jays at one point had two healthy starters. I mean, it was it was nuts. But because they had, you know, a seventeen man bullpen, you know, they could get away with it. Well, yeah, um, and and three man taxi squad, and and there was never. It, it, you know, when you right. swapped out for someone else on the 40 man, there was no chance that they had pitched recently in the minors and were burnt out. You know, it, it just went on and on. Yeah. So there was a lot of ways to cover for mediocre to bad starting pitching last year. They just and like and with seven inning doubleheader games, it just frankly, it was a lot simpler. And that's why the Jays, I think, were a lot not nearly as good as their record, even though they were only 32 and 28. I think uh, I think that they were a 500 ish team or worse in a full season because they just didn't have the starting pitching. I think they do have the starting pitching to survive now because their depth is very good, but to thrive, <clears throat> you know, one of those guys, and by all accounts, they are still t- interested. I mean, everything that Shai Davidi is, is saying and that the U S national writer is saying is that the Jays are still in on those two pitchers. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's in every indication from, um, from the writers that I follow is so-and-so this and that signed for you know minor league deal or signed or was what uh jays were also in dot 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 assume jays were are in on everything like that there's there's nobody's reporting that the jays have kind of closed up their their uh their pocketbook and uh and sat down which is good but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be able to get these this off of this dwindling list of names the guys that they want and that's it's awkward and so one of the things that's really coming into play with this too, the Blue Jays currently have not a lot of money committed to next year's payroll, which is interesting because they made all these moves, but the only players who are actually guaranteed money are Springer, Ryu, Grichuk, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. 
Now they've got guys in arbitration like Teoscar Hernandez and then Vlad will be there, Danny Jansen, Rowdy, Barucki. But that's pretty much it. So part of the thinking, and this is just like, you know, this is just, I, I, I'd say an educated guess based on the comments that Shapiro and, uh, has been making about next year's free agent class. I don't think they want to sign any pitcher for more than a one-year deal because they want to go bonkers in the super loaded free agent class that's coming. I think probably the CBA negotiation plays into that as well. Sure. I mean, it has to. Yeah. Where I, you, I just think it's like they're not stars that are left too, right? If you get a star on a long-term deal, sure, but these guys aren't that. No. They're guys who have a track record, but the track record is not of leading a rotation. Even James Paxton at his best um, was not was not leading the cavalry. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just like a really, really quick rundown of guys that are on next year's market. These are lo- – the, well, some of them could sign extensions, but it's getting a little late for that. And like there's no option years with any of these players. These are just true pending free agents. Freddie Freeman, Anthony Rizzo at first base. At shortstop. Javi Baez, Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, Trevor Story, Chris Bryant at third base. I mean, it's just and then there's you know some outfielders and then the pitching. It's like there's a bunch of the old guys, but there's just a lot of superstar level free agents potentially coming next year. And you just don't want to cut yourself off from that if you don't have to. I mean, would they stretch to two years for a guy if like the price is right? You know, maybe. But I think that it. You know, James Paxson at one year, 10 million makes sense for both both sides kind of thing. Yeah. We'll know soon because it's February already, folks. That's mind blowing, isn't it? My, my, sure is. My, my head is like, are we sure it wasn't just New Year's last week? No. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And as we alluded to in our opening video or video opening quote with stupid Bowers video, he signed finally. Um. And I think that could at least help the rest of this market move a little bit because these teams that missed out on all of these other pitch, all like, you know, like the Mets who were going after Bauer hard, maybe they'll go sign Odorizzi now and the rest of the market will finally, finally move. And finally, does Josh have in his sleeve? We'll find out next week on, no, um, yeah. <laughs> so he thinks so, they're going to make another move because we're doing a podcast next week. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, uh, Jeff Blair apparently was all, oh, it's going to happen Friday. Uh, Thursday night after he was signed off from his show and I have a feeling the Jays are going to blah, 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 blah. And they didn't do anything. Now we're recording on a Friday. So I think transaction Friday, uh, don't let that die folks. Uh, if you are a blue Jays executive and you, you know, you got some ink drying on something, please announce something right after we finish recording this. That would be awesome. Uh, let us go to the beginning of the season. Not, not that I'm trying to rush things, but the season is going to start on time, but there was, uh, as always, there was some back and forth between the union and the Emma. Well, there was back. There was no fourth. And there was some criticism of that. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. So you're referring to the criticism, like with the players rejecting the offer from the league? Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of misinformation out there about that because – so the league offered a deal where it was the players – the season would be pushed back a month – the season shortened from 162 games to 154, but the players getting paid for 162. Um, but the number of off days was coming way down with 11 scheduled doubleheaders, essentially. And 
with expanded playoffs and the DH in both leagues. That's what the offer as reported was. And uh, go ahead. And of course, all of that somehow was in the name of player safety. Yeah, well, <laughs> the statement that MLB put out when it was rejected was just complete nonsense. <laughs> we thought we put a good deal forward. Blah, blah. Okay, here's why it wasn't a good deal for the players, just so that it gets understood. First of all, the season being shortened by three weeks, because they were only extending one week past at the end, even though they're pushing it back a month, was was getting rid of off days, which is the opposite of player safety. Extra double headers not as good for player safety. And also financially, if those games got canceled from COVID, they don't get made up. So it's more likely for cancellations. Secondly, the players don't want the expanded playoffs because they feel that's going to hurt the, the free agent market even more. But most importantly, there is a collective bargaining agreement which already sets the rules for this year. And if they countered that deal, they officially would be reopening the CBA. So they can't counter. They cannot counter because then the whole contract um, begins to get is open for negotiation for um, demands to be made on either side. And you don't want to do that <laughs> because there's a lot of things in the contract already that the players don't like. Um, and you don't want to, you don't want to get into a bargaining position where you're, when you don't have to give and take the, the league, can make it better and put those protections in place arbitrarily. They, they can just go ahead and do it. Uh, they don't need, there's a bunch of things they can do and they don't need the players to buy in, but they, they're well, trying they can't to move the season. No, but they, they can, they're shifting, they're shifting responsibility onto the players when ultimately they could take care of a bunch of these things themselves. It's, it's the standard sneaky, you know, PR BS that the league always pulls. Like all those things you outlined are all such garbage. There was yeah. a really good Twitter um, thread about it, and now I've forgotten the gentleman's name, but he went into why reopening the CBA is such a bad idea under these circumstances for the players. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I also unfortunately can't remember. I'm sorry about that. Well, the podcast Twitter will tweet it out. Yeah, he was a, he is a he is a labor lawyer. Um, yeah, according to according to his his Twitter, and uh, went on to why. Why that closed CBA is to the benefit of uh, of the players and and they should and their lawyers know enough not to just reopen it. Yeah, and you know it's like <clears throat> that is what it is, and so now we're going to start as expected. Which the implications there, you know, it's going to be tougher for the Blue Jays to make the postseason. And I, I'm fine with that. You I do? really am. Because this yeah, is I mean, not. But, go go ahead. ahead. Sorry. <laughs> we don't do that very often. Um, no. th this is not about whether a team makes postseason or not for me, my team or anybody else's team. This is about an environment that is high risk for these players as they are now traveling apparently from city to city all around the country, um, already taking a significant risk because there is no bubble, right, to, to protect them. Um, and... Oh, I was I was moving on from that. I was I think mean, we we're, we're in agreement here that it's not okay. about that. But even just from the baseball perspective of it, I'm fine with it being harder to make the postseason because if you think about like last season, it was boring at the end. It's like the, the if, if the top eight teams from a league make the playoffs, it's just like it was good teams or okay teams and then terrible ones, and there was no 
the Jays had to go like two and eleven to end their season to not make it as the last postseason seed, and that's just not entertaining. I, I'd much rather have the Jays in a fight for a playoff spot and have every September game mean something and take ten years off my life than the opposite. <laughs> This also encourages, uh, in a philosophical sense, the Jays to really load up, right? If 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 more yeah. teams make the playoffs, you don't you're like, well, we didn't fill that last that rotation spot with a really uh, you know an impact player because uh, we were probably going to make the playoffs anyway, and there was really no value to that extra three wins or two wins that that guy gave us. Well, now maybe those three wins don't want it. <laughs> yep, that's why it kills that free agent market. Uh, yeah, so twenty six man rosters. Five postseason spots, bog standard, uh, without the universal DH. Yep. I thought, I thought that the league could put the universal DH after basically telling them a year ahead of time that they were going to do it. Isn't that what happened with some of the other rule changes? Uh, it's a little different with that one, but the players want that. Like if the, if the yeah. league wanted to put the universal DH in, it would happen today. Yeah, that's the, the only, league... only demand on the table. <laughs> yeah. There. They would open the – they would agree. They wouldn't even uh, open it. It's just they agreed to a, yeah. a, a provision. Yeah. No back and forth. All right. Let us swing over to questions, I think. Does that seem appropriate? Yeah. Uh, we have uh, – Why don't you stop? You didn't play our stinger. Oh. oh why, why wouldn't I play the stinger? Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now, how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? All right. So, now that we've properly set ourselves on, uh, Curtis Butcher has our first question at Curtis Butcher 1. Why is Trent Thornton no longer part of the conversation for the Jays? What should we expect next year and over the long term from Trent? Uh, I think the first part of the question I can handle, which is he has proven to neither be consistent enough nor durable enough to do the things that the Blue Jays want him to do. What what should we expect, though, Josh? Yeah, and I just think there's more options. I, I think that he's going to start the season in AAA, and then, you know, that's fine. He still has the upside to be a useful starter, or if not, to move to the pen. But, yeah, last year he made, you know, he threw five innings. And really, he should have only made two starts. He threw them that, that one start on short rest after leaving with an injury, and it was a disaster. So... I think that he still has ability to be helpful, but he'll just be part of that group with Merriweather, Zoik, Kay, and someone who I'm forgetting. I don't remember who's down there anymore. But <laughs> you know, like he's in the mix. They're going to need depth starters, so he'll he'll be in the bigs at some point this year. All right, a question from Smiley Face Picnic at Smiley Face Picnic, uh, which is a new uh, question uh, asker uh, or someone with a new handle. Uh, welcome to the show. Over, under, on most runs scored in one game by the offense at 13.5. It's high, but they also play the Orioles a ton. Well, now that you put it that way. Josh, over or under? Oof. So 13.5? I think it's going to have to be over. They got 14 runs in a game once last year. And uh, I think they topped it the year before too. So I got, and, you know, this with this offense, it was, yeah, they had scored 19 in a game. Th I'm going to say they're going to get at least one game over that, especially because you said they play the Orioles a bunch of times and their offense is really good. Yeah, I'm going to take the over as well. So, I mean, hey, we've obviously doomed them. Uh, L at Ellie Ellie Hart. How far do the Jays have to go for this season to be considered a success? Do they the, at least a wild card game, the ALDS, the ALCS? Uh, all the way. We skipped over just losing the World Series. We've, we've gone from right from the ALCS to winning the World Series. Uh, where where would you be 
um, satisfied. Obviously, you'd be happy if they won the World Series. Yeah. Um, for it to be considered a success, I think in terms of the long-term health of the franchise, I think they need to win upwards in the upper 80s of games. I, I You know, if... If the league just goes crazy and they say there's four teams above them or five teams that win 90 plus games, then Jays miss the postseason. I still consider that a success. Whereas I like if they win 82 games and somehow sneak into a wild card because the league goes crap, I wouldn't consider that a success unless they went deep. So they have to be in the upper 80s of wins and failing that they have to make it to the ALDS. Um, I, I feel like the ALDS is is really where I would feel comfortable with this team advancing i mean you, you can't count on it but if they have a path to the the divisional series um yeah i i, I mean things things can always happen in september that kind of uh everything craps out but i i really feel i would be satisfied with a divisional series appearance again because i think that sets them up well for the next two to three years um Again, and that's why because, I went with, with the win total because yeah you know anyone anyone looking at that team's like oh this team won 88 games like they're good uh Darius Eshrag uh at Deshrag Eshra Deshra Eshra Eshra Darius Eshra sorry why are we hearing very little about looking at the re-signing not resigning Ty Walker he was great last (laughs) year appeared to generally love the team in org I don't think you need to break the bank for him um I think that most of that was due to the fact that Trevor Bauer hadn't signed yet to be honest and you know, so everything you said about Walker's, you know, in terms of his love for the team and probably his contract is true. I don't know if I'd agree that he was great last year. I mean, he gave up a lot more unearned runs than his ERA would suggest. And his, you know, his metrics were meh kind of. But yeah, I think that the J, like we were talking about earlier, right? The Jays are apparently still talking to them and they just want, you know, they probably want to wait till Bauer signed. Um, smiley face picnic asks another question is trading Gritchick a solution in search of a problem oh no your fourth outfielder can hit bombs for days and if someone gets hurt he'll do just fine in an everyday role do you want to answer that one um well I think if you can get something that you need more than a fourth outfielder who you are letting waste on the bench uh, then that's the, the solution that you are you are seeking with Gritchick I don't think you're getting rid of him just just to free Randall Grichuk. I think, I think you're getting rid of him to more appropriately apply your resources. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of thing. So I think your question, smiley face, pick me, um, <laughs> is correct. Like in a vacuum, it doesn't make sense to just jettison Grichuk. As we've said last time on the podcast or the time before that, whenever we talked about this, he's a very useful player to have. It's just whether if by trading him, they can use his $9 million to go get someone else and fill a specific hole. Uh, and our last question from Lockdown Sad Boy again, Luke, Luke, <laughs> at Split Letters, uh, who's I didn't know if this was true last week, but his Twitter avatar is a tiny little bird just screaming ah in the background, completely filling the background. Um, he would like to know what will it take to free David Price? I don't know how many times we have to explain this. David Price is not going to be free. <laughs> It's going to cost well, a lot. <laughs> yes. But this is because they just signed Bauer, right? So they now got – they have Kershaw, Bueller, Bauer, Urias, Price, May, and Gonsolin. All of them are like major league quality like 
they'd be the number two or better starter on the Blue Jays. You know, like maybe number three. I've maybe like something to be behind Pearson, but they'd all be ahead of everyone else. And so people think that the Dodgers might actually trade Price now. I don't think the Dodgers are going to trade Price, but I don't think the Jays are a fit either just because of the he's still signed for two more years. Well, including this year, two years. And Blue Jays, as we discussed, are trying to get that one year bang for your buck out of something so that they can uh, have the pick of the litter potentially next year. Although, obviously, you're going to have to you're going to spend money on that as well. Yeah, uh, look at the Dodgers. Also, yeah. if the Dodgers said, okay, we'll give them to you for two years at 10 million bucks, or sure, the Jays so, would probably do that in a heartbeat, but I yeah, don't think that's uh, going to happen. And throw in Randall Gritchick. <laughs> <laughs> There's a throwback for you. What, to like three minutes ago? Is that, is that still a, a callback? <laughs> <laughs> One callback coming up. Uh, yeah, and that concludes the questions portion of our program as I see it. And of course, as most of our regular n- listeners know, the uh, there is the questions portion, which is usually followed by the do-over portion. Oops, you said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... Okay, so we are not going to, um, we're not going to get into these, apparently my scroll button doesn't work. There it is. We're not getting into the specifics of where this article is from, because I don't think we want to give it uh, any clicks. But the, t- the the title that I found funny was, How in the world are the Blue Jays paying for all their off-season acquisitions? And my understanding, Josh, is that they're doing it with money. Yeah. So, <laughs> this article from the rag, from the... <laughs> State of New York. We'll say that. Yeah. Um, basically, it sounds like the Yankees complained that the Jays spent money. And the crux of it was <laughs> this idea that with the way revenue sharing was being calculated, the Jays have somehow taken advantage of the system. One, there was no revenue sharing agreement for 2020. That was the rules. That it was all based off 27 and 19 revenue. So nothing the Jays did this past year mattered. And two, the Jays don't receive revenue sharing. These are important points. <laughs> I think that's what, it's probably a key one. It's like you didn't game a system into which you have to pay in. How, how do you game that? Like you're, they're still going to have to pay in this year. So the idea, I guess, the, so the idea behind that was that the Jays were going to have to pay in less because they didn't report the revenue that they saved by not having to pay back the uh, broadcaster for their unused games. Again, there was no calculation for revenue sharing based on 2020. So even if that were the case, it wouldn't matter. And also the broadcaster owns the team. Rogers did not defend Rogers, pay the Rogers back so that they could spend, so that Rogers could spend money on the team. We'll have a transcript so you can review what Rogers didn't have to pay Rogers. If you were confused by that last, no, we're not going to transcript. Uh, so ultimately this is someone in New York, presumably saying, man, we're really getting hosed here. And it's like, your team is the one that bumps against the luxury tax threshold all the time. Shut up. Well, and this is kind of the thing, right? There was a lot of, this is how the MLB owners operate, which is why there was hesitation about whether Steve Cohen would even get approved because there's this idea that this big hedge fund guy is going to come in and upset the apple cart and they're just going to spend money everywhere and make it so everyone has to spend. And owners, if there's one thing that they don't like doing, it's spending money. And I don't know, it's just all nonsense, especially like if you look at the Jays' salaries, 2017 and 18, they spent $160 million. They triggered a rebuild after during this 2018 season. 
114 million in 2019. Prorated 113 million in 2020. Rebuild is over. 140 million now. There's a logical connection there. <laughs> and they're still also not anywhere the luxury near the luxury tax. No, like, they if, won't be. Yeah, and if the Blue Jays ownership wanted to really flex and try and win the division, you would think maybe spending the most money would be a pretty obvious way to try and do it. And that's they're, they're not and, rocking the apple cart, and yet I, this report seems if, to indicate that they are. And if they did it still wouldn't be a worthy complaint because they have a very rich ownership. If they want to lose money, they can. Well, yeah, that's the other thing is if a team wants to lose money, that's the team's prerogative. Yep. Uh, okay. Do over number two. Uh, I, I actually, I don't think we have had Bob Nightingale as a do over in a very, very long time. I don't know if we've ever had him ever, but if you search Bob Nightingale wrong on Twitter, Man, do you get a lot of great joke material. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, the reason we've never given him a do-over is just because what's the point? The guy's literally always wrong. Like, <laughs> So his yeah. most recent, of course, for those who have not been following him on Twitter, and uh, to much hilarious effect, was uh, Bauer and Mets have a deal, say sources. Apparently the deal was that he would he would promise not to play for the Mets so he could go sign with the Dodgers. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't understand how he still has a job. I mean, I do. He probably gets clicks, but like, there's just no credibility there at all. No, he constantly, constantly. It's not even his. It, like some guys are just silent and late. He's early and wrong. How how the heck do you maintain any like self respect when you've been wrong as often as Bob Nightingale has been wrong? just have no shame <laughs> just, no sh just just like stand there and you have like a dartboard in your basement and when you get bored you throw a dart at a player name and a team name and say oh this is it here we go and then you count the number of people who retweet you yeah a picture of josh trying to figure out how that dartboard would look um <laughs> <laughs> So, Bob, uh, you know what? Just I think he should, he should be required to put a tweet in the queue that just said, like, John Heyman had it first. And then just wait until John Heyman has things. And, and just so tweet I that Heyman, who's, wrong, who's also wrong all the time. At least he'll check yeah. past or something. That, that's how wrong Bob Nightingale is. <laughs> 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 that he could be better. Um, is, is it Morosi who has the, the strange... Jay's speculation all the time that proves to be completely unfounded. So, okay, now, with respect to Morosi, he's not wrong. He just speculates all the time, or he'll say things like, he'll, he'll debunk something that was never out there in the first place. Like, I remember he said, it's like, no truth to the rumors that the Jays are talking about to the Reds about Marcus Stroman when there was no rumor that they were talking to the Reds about Marcus Stroman. So create and debunk your own rumor, and then you have no worries about A, getting scooped, or B, being wrong. Hey, I respect that game. I think it's <laughs> – I, <laughs> I laugh at it. I make fun of it all the time. But, like, you know, he, he keeps himself in the conversation without ever actually saying anything. It's a self-contained strategy. It doesn't require any participation from any other anybody else who could trip you up. Yeah. One day he's going to debunk something that accidentally turns out to be true, and it's just going to be egg on his face. <laughs> then he'll get a do-over. Exactly. 
All right. Well, before we leave uh, this topic, is there any other uh, writer with unusual habits? Because we, we dunked on Ken Rose, poor Ken Rosenthal last week, who was Two carrying water for the ownership this week. Um, is there anyone else whom you've you found has an unusual writerly habit? I mean, no, I mean, obviously Heyman is like, if there's a Borass guy, he's going to build him up and say there's a million people interested. But other than that, not that I can think of, no. Well, I'm just going to say I miss Peter Gammons uh, tweeting, buy her a washing machine <laughs> and, and the like. Because I feel like that required so much more attempt at understanding rather than uh, waiting to see if people would tweet a rumor and then and then send all the other guys scrambling to confirm or deny the next 15, 20 minutes. On a on a Thursday night at some point, uh, have we have we covered the all the machinations in the baseball world so far this week? Or we can I think so. All right, that's fair. So then I'll turn it over to you to say if you have an additional thought uh, spinning in your head, this would be the time to give it to me. Yeah. So the one thing we haven't talked about in terms of the Blue Jays' still remaining offseason work is a bench piece. Because you know we have all these guys and all these spots in the in the starting rotation, and then the new new players in the lineup. But with the added roster spot, and with Marcus Semien able to actually sh- slide over to shortstop if they need to give Bo a day, or if Bo gets hurt, it really does free up the ability to instead of going with like a Santiago Espinal, go get someone who can mash like a left-handed power bat off the bench or get someone like Adam Fraser from the Pirates if they want to take on half of Rourke's salary or something like that to be a lefty bat that can play a bunch of different spots. And I think it's a lot – it's just an added value of Semyon that doesn't really get talked about that much. And I think that it's going to be – it makes it a lot easier to build a competitive roster when you have two shortstops in your starting lineup. Absolutely. So, uh, good news and bad news for me, pitchers and catchers. Pitchers and catchers report as early as February 16th, according to the Baltimore Orioles organization. Uh, The bad news is the list I have here still says TBA for the Blue Jays, so I can't give you that. (laughs) 11 days, folks, until someone is wandering about a green, green field in the sunshine trying uh, to stay healthy and uh, and find out whom is in the best shape of their life. So, that is to say, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem. I have been cool. I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 192. And we will talk to you, well, possibly before they're throwing baseballs around in Florida, but definitely as soon as they are. Mm-hmm.